Let's pray together. Lord, we love you, and thank you for that truth, God, that, that, that's embedded in that song, Father, that, that all the things that maybe we look to for success and the things that we look to for comfort and, and all these things that, that, that the world tells us we have to have, God, they, those aren't things that you promised us. But God, you did promise that you would hold on to us, Father. You did promise that you would not leave us and you would not forsake us. And so God, help us to hold on to what you have promised. Help us to hold on to what you have given in order for us to to truly find peace and joy and harmony in who you are, God. And so Lord, I just pray that you would bless this time, God, as we seek you out now. God, as we seek your word, your face, your truth, God, I pray that during this time, Lord, that you would come and you would infiltrate our hearts by your Holy Spirit, Father, and that we would, we would not uh, be the same. God, that we would be moved, we would be touched, we would be uh, changed from the inside out by your Holy Spirit, and God, we would, be, we would be radically transformed for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. Let our hearts be moved towards you, God. Let our hearts be moved towards your purpose for us and making disciples and giving you glory. Lord, would you just be our all in all, our everything through your son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that right now your Holy Spirit would come and speak through me as I stand upon the authority of your word, but behind the cross so that you may receive all the glory. Use this time, God. Use it as you see fit for the edification of your saints and for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Open up God's Word with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 is where we will be in a very uh, familiar passage, and we'll be, we'll be taking it apart a little bit uh, as you're turning there. Uh, as many of you probably know that Carly and I, when we, when we left Baton Rouge, we, we were not homeowners. Uh, Carly and I uh, were renters. We rented a, a little townhome, and we had, a, we had a landlord, and his name was Bookie. <laughs> and Bookie had a reputation. Bookie had a reputation of being a rough dude when he was younger. He was a little bit up in age by, by the time we got to him, but, but Bookie had a reputation of being a, a rough dude. In fact, uh, the story goes that, that the townhomes that we lived in, when they were being built, he was driving by in his truck, and he saw one of the roofers just sitting down on the job. He was on top of the roof, and he was sitting down, not doing any work. So Bookie got out of his truck, pulled up a ladder, climbed up to the roof, and threw the guy down. <laughs> I said, you know what? We're going to pay our rent check on time. <laughs> we, we are going to take care of this. But the reality is, I don't know if it was time, I don't know if it was just he liked us, I don't know what it was, but real, the reality was, was the bookie was a really good landlord uh, for us. And after we had lived there a couple of months, uh, he had come by the apartment uh, doing some just routine maintenance, and, uh, and he said, hey, I want to tell you something. I said, okay. So, so I went outside, and I didn't know where we were going with this conversation. Uh, and he said, I just want to let you know, in, in case I didn't tell you when you first moved in, I want you to feel at home here. I want you to feel like you are at home here. I want you to treat this place like it is your own property. That's how comfortable I want you to feel here. Do whatever you want to do. I genuinely appreciated this sentiment from Bookie, but here's the reality. It was a big, fat lie. (laughs) It was a big, fat lie. And you know how I knew that? 
Because only a few months before that, I had signed the sheet of paper, a contract that said, this is a big fat lie. (laughs) There are certain things that you can do, and there are certain things that you cannot do. This is not your house. If you want to take the stairs out and put in an escalator, sorry, bud, you can't do that. If you think it's really cool to cut out a hole in your, in your floor and put in a, a, you know, a fireman pole that you can slide down, which would be awesome, nope, you can't do that either. It is not your house. If you want to have a pet, guess what? You have to pay me an extra $300. It is not my house. What Bookie was trying to do was good heart. What Bookie was trying to do, he was trying to let me know there is freedom. There is freedom that you can exercise in your functioning within this, uh, within this townhome. But the contract let me know what the truth was, that he was the owner and I was merely the tenant. And what we're doing this morning is we're concluding our little mini-series on Christ-centeredness. And we've seen four different things over the last four weeks. We've seen that we are to be Christ-centered in our worship. And that we are to be Christ-centered in our community and our fellowship. And that we are to be Christ-centered in our serving. And we are to be Christ-centered in our sharing of Jesus Christ uh, with others. And, and so what we're doing this morning is we're kind of putting the bow on it, right? We're wrapping it all together. We're tying it up. And we're just saying, Christ must be the very center of his church. He's got to be the center of the whole thing. Not segments, not parts. He's got to be the center of the whole thing. That basically means he's the owner, and we are merely the tenants. And so, let us dig into God's word real quick. Real quick, Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 18. I said, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. What about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And when he says you, he is talking to the whole group. This is a plural you, okay? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So Simon gives an answer for the whole group. He is a representative for the whole. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you... Uh, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, if you were like me, this passage has been a source of confusion for years and years and years and years and years. Because there is two very different doctrines that are taught about this passage, right? If we, if we look at the Catholic doctrine that is taught about this passage, we first see that the Catholics hold to the, to the idea that Peter was the first pope of the church, right? Peter was the first pope of the church, and the reason Peter was the first pope is because he was the rock on which the church was to be built. This is, this is the theology behind the, the, what the Catholics believe. Leave, okay? And, and I'm pretty sure, you know, we're all familiar with this. Uh, uh, and, and if you look at it, to be honest with you, as I've read it years uh, for, for multiple times over many years, my first inclination is they're right. <laughs> you know, a natural reading of this, if, it, it, once you look down at the footnotes and see that Peter means rock, then it, it's real easy to say, and I tell you that you are rock, and on this rock I will build my church. It seems very obvious if, if, on a natural plain reading to say that the Catholics are right. The only problem with that is that I had been taught since I was wee little that that's not the case. You know, that's not true. This is not what it's talking 
talking about. It's that Peter's confession is the truth upon which the God, Jesus builds his church, right? It's the confession of Peter. But listen, I was never taught why. And so that's what I want to do here. I want to, I want to show you why we believe what we believe as opposed to maybe what, what the Catholics believe, okay? And, and, and here's what's going on. Jesus is using a pun, Jesus is using a pun. Now, when I think of puns, I think of one person. James Dykes. <laughs> James Dykes loves to turn a pun. He, he can't help himself. When, when he hears something that he knows he can twist the meaning of one word to mean something else, if he can do a play on words, James is all over it, baby. <laughs> and, and he's good at it, and, and he can make things funny. And, and so there's this kind of use of puns that is humorous. Uh, I, was, I looked it up. I looked up humorous use of puns on the Internet. And, and I couldn't help but think of you, brother. I, I couldn't help it. I, I, thought, I, I read this. Two antennas met on a roof, fell in love, and got married. The ceremony, the ceremony wasn't much, but the reception was brilliant. I thought, James Dykes, James Dykes, that's awesome. <laughs> we were talking about rights and lefts. I was right, so he left. I was like, James Dykes, this is, this is what I'm talking about, because James loves to do these things and, and use, use a pun uh, to, to be humorous. Uh, but there's another way that we use puns as well. And the other way that we use puns, the way that we see Jesus using puns, is to emphasize meaning. In order to, to use words that sound alike or, or have uh, different meanings in order to emphasize what the meaning is uh, that, that, that we're aiming at. And so we see in this passage, Jesus says, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. But in the Greek, he's saying, you are Petros and on this Petra I will build my church. And so I want you, I want you to hear the difference there. You are Petros and on this Petra, I will build my church. And what's happening here is that Jesus is using two different words that sound alike in order to bring emphasis to the second word. And so what we have here is that he, he starts off by renaming Simon. He starts off by renaming Simon. He says, I'm going to call you Petros. Now, in our footnotes, probably every one of us in our Bible, if we look in our footnotes, it's going to say Petros or, or Peter means rock. But a more accurate interpretation of what Petros means is probably stone. It's probably a small stone. So what I don't want you to do when you think of the word Peter, I don't want you to think of the rock of Gibraltar, okay? I do not want you to think of some cascading mountain that is huge and, 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 and powerful. More than, more than that, what I want you to think of is someone standing by a lake with a stone and skipping it. That's what Peter is. Peter is that stone. Peter is that small stone that skims across the edge of the water. It, 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 obviously, you can take it to a larger account than that, but, but I don't want you thinking much, much greater than, than a stone that you would stick in your flower bed. Okay? This is, we're not talking about huge things here. We are talking about small stones. Now, the reason Jesus calls Peter this, Peter refers to it later in his own epistle. But, and we'll get back to that in just a minute. But suffice to say for now, Christ is not building, in, excuse me, Christ is not building his church on what we lay in our flower beds. Okay? That is not what Christ is doing. Rather, he says, I will build my church on this Petra. 
And we need to, we need to look at both words here. He says, he said, on this rock, I will build my church. So on this Petra. And when he says the word this, he's talking about something specific that he's already mentioned, right? If you, if you're going to say this thing, then you're talking about something specific. And so he says this Petra. So in our context, we have one or two choices. Our choice is either that the the Petra that he is talking about is Peter, the Petras, which at this point doesn't seem to make much sense, or he's talking about the confession of Peter, or he is talking about the truth, the foundational truth, the gospel truth that Peter proclaimed about him, saying that you are God, you are the son of the living God. That, that That is our Petra right? Petra is now what I want you to think of as the rock of Gibraltar, okay? If you want to go home and you want to Google Petra, there is a place in the Middle East called Petra, and it is a city that is carved into the side of a mountain. We have in our mind here a mountain, okay? Jesus said he would build his church upon this mountain. This Petra is the church's foundation. When we were uh, going to Mexico, uh, and, and doing missions over there in Reynosa. Uh, <coughs> when we would go there, we would build houses. But the one thing that we made sure was done every time before we ever got down there is we would make sure that the foundation was already poured. We would make sure that there was, there was a foundation for the house already poured before we got there because we realized without a foundation already laid, we could not build the structure. And without the firm foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the church cannot stand. The church cannot stand. Jesus is the church's foundation because without Jesus, there is no church. So we must be careful, church. Listen, church. We must be careful not uh, to, in our own desires and in our own ways, grow the church of God. And not to do what we think is best for the church apart from Christ. We must build upon Christ. That is, we must build upon good theology. We must build upon good theology. When, we, when I say theology, what I mean is right thinking about God. Who God is. How God has expressed Himself. Those sort of things. It is right thinking about God. So our foundation must be based on the living Word of Christ revealed in the timeless and true Word of God. And this is what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And so, our foundation is this gospel of Jesus Christ, but we can't leave the foundation alone. We can't just leave the foundation sitting there uh, by itself. Because Jesus says, I am not only the foundation, but I am the builder. Not only the foundation of your church, of this church, of all churches, of his church. I'm not only the foundation, but I am the builder. He says, I will build my church. What is the point of having a foundation if there is no building? How many of you are familiar with the Chicago Spire building? All right. anybody, anybody remember that? About five years ago, five, five or six years ago, there was this great 
project that came into the minds of entrepreneurs and, and businessmen in Chicago. And they had this idea that they would build the second largest building in the world. It would be 150 floors, over 2,000 feet tall, and it would be the largest building in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, in the summer of 2007, the work began on this building. The funds had been raised, they had been planning it for years, and, the, and they began to do the work, and they, over the course of a year, they, they laid the foundation for the Chicago Spire building. But in 2008, they hit financial glitches. They hit problems, and the whole project was, had come to a close. And today sits what one reporter called a $93 million hole in the ground. Listen, a foundation is only useful if there is a structure being built upon it. And that's why our theology can never stand alone, guys. That's why we don't study the Bible for studying the Bible's sake. We study the Bible because it is the living, active, breathing movement of our God to us. It is, it is His powerful word. A.W. Tozer says, There is scarcely anything so dull and meaningless as Bible doctrine taught for its own sake. Truth divorced from life is not truth in its biblical sense, but something else and something less. We must take what we believe, we must take our theology and form it into a structure for action. And this is what we will call philosophy. And we, have, we must take our theology and develop a philosophy, and it must be a Christ-centered philosophy. Uh, uh, we have the unalterable foundation, right, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it has been laid. So once that happens, the building, can now, uh, the building of the church can now commence. He says, all right, I'm this rock, I'm this Petra, okay? Now I'm going to build my church. And I have practices that are musts. I have some non-negotiable things that the church must do. For instance, Scripture teaches us that preaching the Word of God is a must within the local church. Observing the ordinances is a must within the local church. Facilitating the functions of the church of fellowship, evangelism, worship, discipleship, service, and prayer is a must within the local church. Giving is a must within the local church. And if we do anything less than these, then the church ceases to be what the New Testament actually refers to as a church. Different churches, of course, have different priorities. Different churches have different emphases on, on, on which, which area that, they, that they, they, uh, they come to more or they emphasize uh, more. But here's the reality. All churches, all churches are responsible for all of these philosophies. All churches are responsible for taking God's word, the root foundation that we have, the theology that we have in Jesus Christ, and taking from that and moving to a philosophy of ministry that will do something that is the next step and what is it's actually meant for. If we stopped at philosophy, if we went from theology into philosophy, then we'd have really good classroom discussions, right? But we wouldn't do anything. We wouldn't do anything, and that's not the purpose. We must grow from our philosophy. Scripture teaches us again what Christ is actually building here. He says, on this rock I will build what? My church. I will build my church. Jesus lays the foundation, He builds on it, and then He creates His church. We, here's the interesting thing I think, we are the building material for His church. 
We are the building material for his church. I told you we would get back to the name of Peter. Why did Jesus say that you are uh, uh, Petros? Why did he say that? Well, Peter takes this same idea of Petros. He takes the same idea of a stone and he, and he applies it to us. He applies it to the church. In 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5, he says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So at first what we see is, is Peter is speaking on behalf of the other disciples and Jesus says, you are a stone. But now Peter is speaking on behalf of all believers and he's referring to every single one of us as stones. We are representing the disciples of Jesus Christ. And here's what scripture teaches us, that, that as living stones, we are being built into a house. We are being built into his church. And so what we learn here is that Jesus places us exactly where he wants us to be for his kingdom purpose. Okay? So you are at Wesson Baptist Church this morning because Jesus wants you at Wesson Baptist Church this morning. You are a member here for a reason. And that reason is because you are a member here, God wants to grow his kingdom. And that reason is as a member here, God wants to grow this church. And there's a reason that you are a member here because God wants to grow you. He wants to grow you. God, Jesus placed you here for a purpose. He is growing his church through you. But this is really where it kind of gets interesting. Jesus stakes claim to the church. He says, the church is mine. It is my church. And what is the church? We just said that. Followers of Jesus Christ. So we are the church. We belong to Jesus Christ. And as those who belong to Christ, we do what He desires. We talked about that last week, that we are His ambassadors. We speak on His behalf. So as living stones, here's the thing, here's, here's the interesting part. As living stones, we are the ones to put a Christ-centered philosophy of ministry into practice. Here's the idea, guys. Scripture is very, very relevant for today. It is very, very relevant for today, but it will not tell us how to do our small groups. Scripture is very, very relevant for today, but it will not tell us what to preach on a week-to-week basis. Scripture is very relevant for today, but when it comes to the application of God's Word in our lives, guess what? Jesus has used us as His living stones to make that decision and go forward in freedom. In that same freedom that He offers us through His blood. Listen guys, we have a foundation, we have a rock, and we have a builder, but we are the building And if we do not base what we do first on His his foundation and then on His commands, then we have fruitless building. We have pointless and absolutely worthless building. It's kind of like, maybe some of you are familiar with the Winchester Mansion. The Winchester Mansion is a, is, a, is a large, large place out in California, and it was owned by the, the wife of the man who designed, built, and sold the Winchester rifle. Her husband died, and, uh, and she went and saw a, uh, uh, what's the word, a 
soothsayer, that's not the right word, psychic, there we go, (laughs) my mind just went, Uh, she went and saw a psychic, and the psychic convinced her that she was going to be haunted by the spirits of everybody who has ever been killed by a Winchester rifle, and the only way that she would be able to not be haunted by these spirits was to continuously be building on her mansion. And I don't know what sense that makes, but anyways, that's what the psychic told her. And and anyways, so for the next 38 years after her husband died, there was continuous hammering of nails. There was continuous sawing of boards. There was continuous construction on this building, so much so that the property grew to six acres in size. Not land, just house, okay? Six acres of house was built. And you'll see, if it, I encourage you to look at pictures of it online, but you'll see that they have staircases that lead to the ceiling. They have doors that open up to walls. They have windows that open up to floors. It is just completely random, completely pointless, completely without purpose. And when we disconnect Christ-centered theology and Christ-centered philosophy from our practice, we in large part are doing the exact same thing. We're doing the exact same thing. Listen, we won't even recognize it. Because you know what? We'll still have events on our calendar. We won't even recognize it because you know what? We'll still have stuff in our facilities. We won't even recognize it. You know why? Because we are still going to hand out an annual budget. But, we'll just kind of be like that, that blind squirrel that finds a nut. You know what I'm talking about? We'll be, the, we'll be that blind squirrel and we'll run across that nut every once in a while and we'll have a powerful moment. But if, but if there is no purpose for it, it'll be just enough to keep us holding on. It'll be like that golfer who goes back because he hit one good shot in 18 holes. Yes, I'm going back because I had that one good shot. Well, listen, Jesus did not give us his power. Jesus did not give us his spirit so that we could be a blind squirrel that finds a nut every once in a while. He wants us to live in his power. He wants us to dwell in his presence and he wants his church to rock and roll and explode people jesus wants us to look like jesus all right otherwise we're just going through the motions otherwise we're just going through the motions and so what we do guys is we put it all together what we do is we start with theology we move to philosophy and then that leads us into practice let me just give you a few examples starting with theology god is triune He's three in one, and he has perfect fellowship within himself. So that's our, I mean, theological statement there, right? Okay, so God is three in one, and he has perfect fellowship within himself. Then we move to philosophy. Christ-centered fellowship is vital for transformation. That we see this happening in God in theology, we then take that, that, that uh, theological statement, and we apply it to ourselves, and we say, thus, if God does it within himself, then we must do it within ourselves as the body of Christ. And so what we see is that Christ-centered fellowship is vital for transformation, but then we end up in practice, and this is where we have freedom. This is where we have lots and lots of freedom. We develop fellowship through, let's say, small group ministry. We will have small groups that are open or closed. We will have multi-generational or or age-divided or meet on Sundays or weekdays. We have all different kinds of options when we get to the practice phase, but the practice phase must first be built on the theology and philosophy phase. Okay? Does that make sense? Let's do a couple more examples. Theology. Jesus is the Word incarnate, and Scripture is His special revelation to us. 
philosophy. The Bible must be boldly proclaimed in all teaching environments. So practice, we will teach the word of God to adults and students and kids by fill in the blank. All right? Theology, God became man to rescue us. Philosophy, we must step into our local context and serve. We, and and, and uh, practice, we serve our local community by fill in the blank. They must build upon each other. In practice, what we are doing is we are taking what Christ has already laid out and fitting it into our culture. We are transporting the word of God and putting it, taking it over a 2,000-year-old bridge and bringing it to the modern day to live out what he has commanded. Harry Houdini, uh, we're all probably pretty familiar with, with Houdini and And that's because even to this day, he's still considered the world's greatest escape artist. The world's greatest escape artist. He he could escape from handcuffs without much problem. He escaped from hand, uh, I mean, excuse me, straight jackets. He he escaped from water tanks and uh, and buried coffins and and torture chambers. He, He escaped from all kinds of things, but there was one thing at the end of his life. He knew his life was coming to an end, and he looked at his wife, and he said, I've been able to escape everything my entire life he said i'm going to i'll make you a promise that in after i die i'm going to escape death and i will visit you in the afterlife and so harry houdini died and for the next 10 years his wife held regular séances in order that she may be able to come in contact with her husband who made a promise that he would make contact with her after he died 10 years after he died on halloween the uh, 10th anniversary of his death, Mrs. Houdini held one final seance. And the, the medium called out to Harry and said, Houdini, if you're out there, this is a plea. You said you would come back. Come back. It was broadcast over the radio, over the entire world. And as usual, nothing happened. And this was the question question the medium asked what are you going to do now miss houdini and she said my last hope is gone i turn out the lights but praise be to our god that two thousand years ago there was a man and he said the my end is coming but i'd look at you and i tell you three days from then i will be raised to life and his word came true 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us that we were bought at a price and we are not our own. And so as Jesus' church, we do not cling to the promises of man that ultimately do not come to fulfillment. We cling to Jesus Christ. He is our owner and we are the tenants. We may live in His freedom, but we must recognize His dominion the church commences the church continues and the church concludes with jesus christ may jesus be honored in this place let's pray god i love you i thank you i praise you for your son for his sacrifice for his truth god for his transformation his continual transformation Not just from death to life, Father, but from dying to living. In everything that we are, in everything that we do, 
that we seek out Jesus Christ because we are yours. We are His. We seek Him out and we lay our lives down because we know that He is worth it. He is worthy. God, that we are not our own. God, I pray that that would be a truth that seeps in, Father. And as we forget it and as we walk away from it, God, that you would help it to seep back in, God, that we are not our own, but that we indeed were bought at a price. So, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, God, that we would surrender all. Lord, that we would indeed lay down everything. We would say, God, you are first. You are first in all these different areas that we talk about in church. But you are first in my life. You come before my family. You come before my country. You come before my church. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. So God, where we continue to fall short, may we be transformed by the renewing of our minds to who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and how much He loves us. And let that gospel message transform us individually, and let that gospel message transform us as a body, as a family, as a community here at Western Baptist Church. God, speak to our hearts. Lord, where we have placed idols, anything and everything that we place before you, God, draw us to our knees in repentance. And God, for those in here who do not know you, for those in here who have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray that by the powerful movement of your Spirit, God, that you would come down, you would convict them of their sins, and they would turn their lives over to you. God, let this church be Christ-centered in everything. From their pastor, to our services, to when we leave this place and we are at our homes, we are at our workplaces, let us be Christ-centered in everything. God, we love you. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your precious name I pray. Amen.